you have your Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be reading Ephesians 4. We're going to be looking at verses 25 to 32, but we're going to start in verse 21 just so we can catch the context. Ephesians 4, 21 to 32. Friends, listen, this is God's word. You have heard about Christ and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. We are starting this year with this short two-part series on resolutions. Resolutions. Talking about the new you. And, we, and we've seen, we saw last week, that God's key to lasting change, the, the key to fulfilling any kind of resolution, is to focus not so much on what we do, but the reality is that we need a change in who we are. Okay, we saw that last week. Um, last week we saw knowing and being this new you. Today in our passage, God addresses the doing aspect of it. And we're going to look at practicing the new you, putting the new you into practice. In my experience, when I think about all of my efforts to change, to grow, to, to try to make progress with all resolutions that I might make, the biggest problem that I have is that deep down in my heart, or when it really matters, I don't want change. You know, I, I want my old ways. There's a reason why they're my old ways. I, you know, they're, they're comfortable to me. They, they bring some measure of enjoyment or pleasure. You know, I like the old way that I eat. And so when push comes to shove, I revert back to my old habits of eating, right? And so I don't lose weight. I don't get fit. I'm not healthy. You know, this is why, for me, so many resolutions get broken. You know, I can hold out for a time, and I can have new behavior for a while, but pretty soon my will crumbles. You know, there's enough distance between my resolution, or there's enough justification in my mind, or I'm just tired, you know, and I end up, reverting back to what I really want, to what I want. Are you like me at all? <laughs> Just that's, that's, that's the honest truth. 
I mean, if you're like me, I feel like we're all slaves to what we want. You know, and the problem with change, with practicing the new you, is what we want. Because we all do what we want. Right? I mean, we do. We always do. Now, I know maybe you're thinking right now, no, I'm actually constantly being forced to do what I don't want. Right? There's all kinds of areas in my life where I'm not doing what I want. You know, my boss makes me do things I don't want. Work, in general, makes me do things I don't want. My girlfriend, my spouse, my parents, my kids. Right? All these things put pressure on me to do things, to force me to do things that I don't want to do. Well, that's good. That's a really good response. Um, I should address that. Um, I would say that even there, you are doing what you want. In that, you want to please the other person more than you want to do what you really want. Right? Or you want the money that you're going to make more than you want to be out of a job. Okay? And so, you know, we have these competing wants. It's, it's a war. You know, there's a battle that goes on for our will with competing desires. Um, But again, if you're like me, um, at the heart, right, at that moment when it really matters, oftentimes, and usually it's after the moment when it really matters, so let me put a distance there, usually I'm saying, oh man, I wish that I wanted what I should, right? I wish I wanted in that moment, I wish I wanted something different back then, I wish my will was stronger, I wish my desires were different. Now, in the battle for our will, I feel like religion has very limited part to play. Okay, because you think about what religion does with our desires, with, with the heart. I think religion pretty much tries to change us, tries to change what we want by guilt. Okay, it heaps guilt. It tries to shame you. It threatens you. And sometimes it works to some degree. Sometimes there's some outward conformity. But what religion can't really do, what guilt can't do, you know, it, it doesn't actually change what we want. It really kind of pushes it down. It just suppresses what we want. And so eventually, you know, like trying to hold a beach ball under the water in a pool, you know, you just, there's a while where you're going to move and wonder, it's going to come popping out. What you really want is going to come out again. Now, I talk about religion because Jesus is so different from religion. The gospel is the opposite of religion. Jesus is so amazing because when Jesus tells us what we should want, when Jesus gives us commands, he actually goes for our heart. Okay, Jesus, in wonderful ways, really picked on the folks who were outwardly doing things they thought that looked good, but inside they didn't really want to be doing what they were doing outside. They were doing it for the wrong reasons. And Jesus knows that the key to real change is changing what we want. It's to change what we want. That's what Jesus is interested in. Jesus wants to change what we want so that we'll want to do what is best for us. So we'll want to do what's best for others. So that we'll want to do what actually brings honor to God. And the gospel, the the good news of Jesus has real power to change us in very, very practical ways. Okay? If you get this and apply what we're going to talk about today, what Jesus does in this passage, you will want to be the new you more than anything else. Okay? And you will see progress. You will see growth in your life like you've never, ever seen before. 
if you study, even if I just shut up now and prayed and sent you all off, if you just took these verses that are in this passage in Scripture home with you, studied them, put them into practice, really came to grips with what these verses are saying, your life would never be the same. Your life would never be the same. Plus, as though that weren't good enough, right? Plus, this is also exactly what you need to hear if you're not a Christian. Okay, for those of you who are here and aren't yet Christians, you know, so many people reject Christianity because they've thought it's all about do's and don'ts. They think it's all about, when they think about the, the, the Christianity, it's like, well, the Ten Commandments, right? Do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, or you're going to be in trouble. Right? We're going to see in this passage that Christianity is different. It is so different from that. That is not, if you've rejected Christianity because of that, then you haven't rejected Christianity, in fact. You haven't rejected Jesus. You've rejected, appropriately rejected, a caricature and something that's not real Christianity. But we're going to see real Christianity. And we're going to see that it's different because God cares about our hearts and he offers us real, lasting change. There are three things that God does to change what we want. Okay, three things. These are the points that we're going to look at today. If you want to take notes, we're going to see that meaning changes what we want. We're going to see that possibility changes what we want. And then third, relationship changes what we want. So meaning, possibility, and relationship. Those three things change the want to in you. They change what we want. Okay, and so let's look at this first thing, that that meaning changes what we want. There there are six commands here, and ironically, we're going to look at two commands in each one of these points. It just lines up that way. It's nice. Um, Meaning changes what we want. This is verses 25 to 27. These are two commands about telling the truth and about anger. And in these two commands, what we see here, um, our wants can change to do these things if we can understand the reasons for the commands, okay? I want you to see that in this passage, Jesus doesn't say, tell the truth and quit being angry. That's not what he says here. He says so much more than that, right? If you're only looking for the commands, that's what you're going to get out of this passage. Tell the truth and quit your anger. But there's so much more here in these verses, in verses 20, uh, 25 to 27. There's so much more here. And it's, it's the reasons why. It, it's what surrounds the commands here that change the want in us. So that we actually want to do what Jesus is pushing us to. Look at verse 25. And, and you'll see down below, I even created a chart here. What I did was I put the commands, the imperatives... I put the imperatives, an imperative statement is just a command. I put the commands on the left-hand column of that table. And then I put indicatives, or or more the reasons why, on the right-hand side. And and you'll see that there's a a relationship. There's a dramatic relationship. And in these first two commands, the reasons why, the meaning behind the commands are the reasons why you will want to do these things. Oh, it's up there. I'm like, why is everybody looking up there? Are they just... Really deep in contemplation here? All right. Thank you. So you'll see up there, you've got the commands on the left, and then you have the reasons on the right. It's also in your bulletin. 
So look what Paul says. He doesn't just say, tell the truth. But verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for, because, we are members of one another. For we are members of one another. You see that? Here's the reason why. If you've ever had kids, or if you've ever been around kids, there's that point where usually they're around between three, four, maybe at five it starts to, starts to fade off where they ask you one question all the time, right? What's that question? Why? Right? Ryan, it's time to go to bed. Why? Well, uh, it, it's getting late, and so it's time to go to bed. Why? Well, because you are four years old, and if you stay up too late, you're going to feel really tired. Why? You know, and after a while, you realize, oh, okay, he's not really asking. He's just asking why. You know, he's not really listening necessarily. Um, you know, why, 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 why? And it's the point where, you know, some parents, you get to the end of your patience, you go, because I said so! <laughs> now go do it! We're done talking about this! If your heart is right, if you're asking honestly, God never, ever tires from hearing you ask why. Okay? God never tires from hearing you ask why. In fact, God delights for you to understand why. So many people think that Christianity is God saying, tell the truth. Why, God? Because I said so, that's why. That's not Christianity. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not Jesus who came to this world to reveal God. He came to this world so that he could explain why. And so, as far as God is concerned, if you want to know why you should tell the truth, God is excited to tell you why. He's excited to answer that question. And in this passage, in verse 25, God says the reason why you want to tell the truth is because we're a family. We're a family. Members of one another. The illustration is it's, it's a human body. You know, we are members of the same body. In the book of Ephesians, it says we are the body of Christ. And so we're all members of one another. We are a family. And so, you know, just to play with the illustration here, what if the members of a body didn't tell each other the truth? Right? Think about that. Let me give you an example. How, you know, what if the hand lied to the brain and said that the burner on the stove was not hot. Right? Or what if the nerve said, you know what, we're going to check out for a while, and we're just not going to report on the fact that this hand is being burned to a crisp. Right? What would happen? The hand would be possibly irreparably damaged. What if the eye lied to the foot, and I know some of you scientists are saying, yeah, but there's the neurons and the central nervous system. So just for a sec, just, just, you know, don't get too specific on this. What if the eyes lied to the foot and said, oh, no, 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 no. The cliff is still 20 feet away when it was two, right? 
I mean, we're talking about significant damage. Death could result. Irreparable harm would be done to the body, right? It's ridiculous. The whole point of having a body, the whole point of being a unified body is that we care for one another, right? The same damage happens when we're not honest with each other. When we lie about how we're doing on Sunday morning, if we go to community group and put a face on that's not real, and we pretend like things are better than they are, if we know that someone is making decisions that are causing their life to spiral out of control or they're doing irreparable harm to themselves or to someone else, if we're not willing to speak truth to our neighbors, then we are causing irreparable harm. We are causing serious damage. That's why. That's why. It's not just tell the truth because, well, you're supposed to tell the truth. It's tell the truth because, you know what, there's a meaning behind what you do. There's a meaning behind how you conduct yourself with other people. There is something eternal going on. If you're a Christian, you are part of the body of Christ. And as a family, Paul has said right in the passage prior to this one that we are together speaking the truth in love and building ourselves up to be a healthy body. And if you don't, then you're going to damage the body. You're going to damage the family. You know, when I think about telling the truth, there are times when my heart gravitates toward just wanting to tell the truth because I'd rather tell the truth. But when I'm gripped by the reality that you are a member of my family and that you are part of my body, then I realize, you know what? Lying to you is lying to myself. And how often does that happen? You know, have you had experience with that where you've lied to yourself or you have... You know, told yourself something that wasn't really true. You've thought yourself, you've thought of yourself better than you really are. You know, how does that go for you? You know, usually, you, I mean, there's a point at which you have to come to grips and you realize that, boy, lying to yourself is not a good thing. It doesn't cause life. It doesn't bring health. It doesn't bring happiness. The same thing is true when we lie to each other. And so Jesus wants you to know he wants you to know that, um, that what can change your heart, what can change what you want, is to realize that you're part of a family. That you're part of a family and you need, we all need to be honest with each other. Now, then you think about, so the, the second command here in this piece, in verse 26 says, be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Look at verse 27. And give no opportunity to the devil. Whoa. Did you know that? Did you know that if you sin in your anger, 
and, and what's neat here is that the Bible is not saying it's sin to be angry necessarily. There are times when we are righteously moved to be angry. But what the Bible says, you can't sin in your anger. Okay, it's how you respond, how you express your anger that that, that, that takes on um, sin. <laughs> Did you know though? That if you sin in your anger, if you go to bed angry, if you let the sun go down on your anger, did you know that you're actually giving an opportunity to the devil? That freaks me out. If it doesn't freak you out, man, that's a big deal. The opportunity for the devil, what that is, it's like it's like a beachhead. Okay? Um, it's, it's a base of operations in your heart. Okay, when you let the sun go down on your anger, when you don't deal with your anger in a healthy way, what you're doing is you are inviting the devil to come in and control an aspect of your life. Okay, and it may just be one relationship. Maybe you got mad at someone else and you haven't dealt with it. You've just let that anger fester in you. Could be your spouse, could be your children, could be a coworker, could be someone in the church. Right? could be me. Maybe I've irritated you or, or really bothered you. You're angry. If you go to bed, what, here's what happens. Because when you go to sleep, this is the significance of it. When you go to sleep, what you're doing is you're saying, you know what, I am going to choose to not deal with this. I am going to go on and not deal with this. When you do that, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm not going to honor Jesus in this area of my life. And what the text says is that what you do is you give the devil an opportunity to have control over that relationship. Because now he is operating and he will, he's looking for anything that he can get in our lives. He's looking for anything, any way into our lives. And when we decide to cut ourselves off from God and his ways, when we say, God, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm going to let my anger fester. I'm not going to tell the person I'm angry. I'm not going to confront the person about what they did. I'm not going to do anything. And I'm just going to let you, and you just let that anger fester. When you do that, what you're saying is, God, I'm cutting myself off from you. There's a wall then that, that, that exists between you and God because this part of your life is not under his authority. And when he's not in control, the devil jumps in and the devil has a heyday. He'll begin to tempt you into all kinds of ways. He'll make that conflict significant and awful. You know, there are stories after stories after stories of people who have let conflict go unresolved. And it just festers to the point where it can control your whole life. It controls everything. And so again, it's the meaning behind the command, right? For me, okay, be angry and do not sin. All right, I get that. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Okay, that's fine. I, I, I feel some motivation to want to obey that command. But when verse 27 comes into play, and I see that the bigger picture here, that what's going on here is that when I do this, I give an opportunity to the devil. All right, I'm, I'm clean. I'm coming clean. When I think about this, here's what happens to me. I'm laying down in bed, and I turn the light off, and I'm laying there, and I'm starting to think, uh-oh, wait a second. Stephen, are you going to go to sleep? Like the sun's gone down, but, you know, we, I think about it in terms of going to sleep. Maybe I ought to think about it with the sun going down because then you still have a few hours, you know, before you're really in trouble. So I think about going to sleep. Um, there I am laying in bed, and there is a conflict between Laney and me. 
and I'm and, and I'm I'm there and I'm wrestling, right? <laughs> I just turned out the lights. There I am, and I'm trying to come up with every reason in the world why this is different. No, 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 no. I don't really need to talk about it. We talk about it in the morning. We talk about it next week. It's not that big a deal. You know, I'm not even sure if she was really that upset. You know, certainly I can probably not be upset, right? I don't know. This is how I think, right? And then this verse comes to mind and I think, do I really want to let the devil have any sort of control of my marriage? Do I really want to let the devil come into this relationship in any way? And so, you know, if you don't know what's going on in my head, all you see are two people lying down, you know, backs to each other, facing the other way. It's dark, right? And so you're standing there in the room watching, you know, whatever, if this is a movie, and after about 15 seconds, 30 seconds of silence, you hear this. Lane. Lane. What? I need to talk about something, you know, and that's how it starts. And then I roll over. Okay, Lane, I really don't want to let this go undealt with. Can I talk to you about something? I need to tell you something. I need to confess something. I need to, you know, and there it starts. And, you know, by God's grace, when I do that, usually Laney, I mean, I think I can't think of a time where Laney hasn't been receptive. You know, she's willing to engage because she's driven by the same thing. You know, and so there are times where I'm trying to think. I mean, I think there have been times where I've had to get out of bed and call somebody. Um, I'm trying to remember a specific time. But, I mean, man, because do you want the devil in control of any part of your life? I mean, seriously, like even if you don't believe in Jesus, do you want to have the devil to control you at all? I mean, just to be freed from that. And so, again, it's, it's the meaning it's the meaning that drives the desire to change. Like, I don't want to let the sun go down on my anger. I don't want to let my anger control me. I don't want to sin in my anger because of what happens if I do. And so it's the meaning behind the command. It's the why. It's God answering the why that frees me and makes me want to be, to put into practice that new self. That self that says, look, I'm sorry. I let my anger get control of me. I'm sorry. So, I'm just on this point. Are you angry with someone right now? If you are, don't let this day end without beginning to make reconciliation in your relationship. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but because of this. The good news is that when you confess and you begin to reconcile, that foothold, that beachhead in your heart, it goes away. God graciously delivers us from the controlling power of the enemy. So it's meaning, meaning. It's, it's, it's the why in Christianity. It's God's love to explain why these things are so important um, that motivates us. It actually changes our desires. So that's our first point, it's meaning. Our second point is that possibility changes what we want. Possibility. We're going to move more quickly here with these next uh, two points. This is verses 28 and 29. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So possibility, what is being described here, what Jesus wants you to know is that there is real transformation that happens. Okay? Because what we see here is both a putting off and a putting on. Okay? In both of these commands about work and thieving, work and stealing, and then you've got, you know, the, uh, your words. Okay? In these two commands, you have a no longer do this, but do this. Okay? And what we see there, it's a reflection of, it's a reflection of the putting off and the putting on. Right? We've seen in verses 22 to 24 that you put off your old self when you become a Christian. Right? That's what God does for you. We, we talked about the extreme gospel makeover after the home makeover show last week. And if you, didn't, if you weren't here, then make sure you listen to that message because it talks about the transformation, the real transformation that God works in your life when you believe in Jesus. Um, what this shows is how that transformation looks. Okay? Um, this, these verses... Um, in fact, all the commands in one sense, but these verses specifically because there's this putting off and putting on, these are, you know, the end of the home makeover show. You know, they move the bus and you see the outside of this gorgeous house, right? And everybody's, you know, everybody's cheering and screaming. The family's crying. The music is playing in that crescendo way that makes you want to cry. And, um, you know, that's just that's what you do. And, um, and then after they see the house, then they, they do a tour of the house, right? If you've seen the show, they do a tour. And so you see the, the foyer, you see the kitchen, you see the living room. Then you see the bedrooms, right? They show the kids' rooms, and then they show the master bedroom. And then they show the backyard, and then there's something else going on. And then they show them, you know. And while they're showing you this tour of this newly made house, they show you pictures of the, after, the before, right? And so you have this dynamic where you're going, oh, man, I can't believe this. You know, this, oh, this is awful. I remember this. But then look, it's glorious. It's gorgeous. Right? And so you're having this before and after thing. That's what Paul's doing here. That's what these verses are doing here. They're showing you the before and the after. They're saying, you know what? Before, you might have stolen. Maybe you were a thief. Like in reality, maybe you stole from your company. Maybe you stole in your relationships. Um, that was who you were. But now, now, there's real change. Now, you're the kind of person that wants to work. That wants to work. Why? Because of what's possible. See what happens? If you stop stealing, but then labor and do honest work with your hands, look at the end of verse 28. Then you will have something to share with anyone in need. This is real transformation because you go from being someone who greedily steals from others. And what God does when he changes you, when he fills you with himself, when he puts his heart in you, when he unites you to Jesus, right? All these different ways to describe what it means to become a Christian. When you become a Christian, God makes you into someone who can actually share with people who have needs. That's a possibility. Did you know? that you are someone that God can use to meet the needs of others. And that as you do work, as you do work, you actually will end up having things that you can share 
you can meet real needs. You can make a difference in someone's life because of the good work that you do. That is a radical transformation to go from stealing to being unbelievably generous. Zacchaeus is the, is the person that comes to mind in Luke chapter 19. He was a tax collector. He ripped off everyone. He ripped off everyone, and then he met Jesus. And he goes to this radical transformation where Jesus comes into his life, and what does he say? He says, you know what? I'm going to pay back everything. I'm gonna, wait, wait, no, no, no. First he says, I'm going to give half of my goods away to the poor. He was really rich. I'm going to give half of my stuff to the poor. And then if I have stolen from anybody, I'm going to give it back and pay it back fourfold. So if I stole $1,000 from somebody, I'm paying it back 4000 That's the transformation of the heart. That's what's possible with Jesus. That is what's possible with Jesus. Because that, what happens is you get his heart. And Jesus' heart is one of radical generosity. Jesus is so generous that he came down and gave his life for you. Not just his stuff, but his life. He died for you. For you. That's his generosity. And he knew everything you did. He knew what kind of person you were. And he came for you anyways. He came for me. You know, I mean, that's the dynamic here. When you believe in him, God takes the heart of Jesus and he gives it to you. The new self that you become is Jesus on you. It's Jesus in you. You walk and you have his heart. And so what's possible is that this this new self, you become someone who can meet others' needs. Speech, it's the exact same way. Corrupting talk. He said, that's the old self. That's the old you. Corrupting talk that comes out of your mouth. Good word picture here. That corrupting talk means like spoiled, rotten fruit or, or putrid meat. Ew. As I was studying this, I was thinking, man, like how can I make that even more poignant? And I thought, you know what? What he's saying here is that the old self, you could actually, in your words, you're vomiting on people. Like that's the impact that your words can have. You are corrupting other people with what you say. But what's possible is that you've been made a new self, that old self you've put off. And so what's possible with the new self? Look at this. But instead, words that, f- that are good for building up as fits the occasion, look at the end of this verse, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do you know what grace is? Grace is undeserved blessing. Undeserved blessing. When God is gracious to us, boy, we're forgiven and we are transformed. We're made new people. And what this verse is saying here, what's possible when you practice the new you, when you put these things into practice, what is possible, what you become is you become someone who can actually give grace to others. So, I mean, beyond giving somebody something material, which is incredibly significant, you could actually give something to someone that is eternally significant. God could use your words to bring someone into eternal salvation. 
God could use your words to help someone who is struggling with guilt to finally understand that they've been forgiven by God. God could use your words to bring real reconciliation in a relationship. These are all ways that grace comes from the words that we speak. This is what's possible. This is the reality. If we put this new self into practice, that changes what I want. That changes what I want. I have all kinds of things that I'd love to have. But when I think about the reality that God could use me to make that profound a difference in someone else's life, I want that. I want that. I think you do too. I think to be human means to want to make a positive difference in people's lives. And the possibility is that Jesus makes that happen. God makes you into someone who can give grace, who has something to share with other people in need. And that possibility changes my heart. I think it'll change yours as well. Our last point is that, uh, is that it's relationship that changes what we want. And these are the last two things, verses um, 30 to 32. It's a relationship. Um, I think the commands stop being just commands, right? Even when it's God speaking, God's commands stop just being commands when we recognize that there's a real relationship that God is interested in, okay? And the reasons why that we get in these two commands, in these last two commands, help us see that there is a real relationship with God. Look at verse 29, or verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because he was the one by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is God's presence in your life. It's God saying, I love you so much that I want to be with you. I want to be an integral part of your life. I want to be with you wherever you go. I want to fill you with everything that I am. I want you to experience life the way I intended. And so God draws near and we have the presence of his spirit. And that spirit isn't just present with us, but if you have that spirit, that's a guarantee. The seal there, it's it's a seal. You've been sealed. That's like the, the authorizational signature on a contract. Okay? Having the Holy Spirit, if you have the Spirit, God is saying, boy, we have a relationship. I'm never going to let you go. I'm going to be with you no matter what. And so the idea of, of grieving the Holy Spirit, we do that when we make God sad. Okay, when we live out the old self, when we sin, those things make God sad. Because God's like going, oh, that's not, that's not my intention for you. I want greater things for you than that. You know, it's like a father with his children, you know, in a healthy way, saying, oh, that's not best for you, right? And so we grieve the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Realize you have a relationship. In fact, you were sealed by the Spirit. You were sealed by the Spirit. And then that second set of commands, verse 31 and 32, this is kind of the catch-all. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. This, these verses, 31 and 32, it's all about attitude. 
This is all about the attitude that you have. And the thing that makes you not want to be bitter, the thing that makes you not want to um, slander others, the thing that makes you want to be kind, that makes you want to have a tender heart, is that last phrase. Verse 32, that God in Christ forgave you. God in Christ forgave you. God's not bitter with you. He's not wrathful against you. He's not angry. He's not slandering you. He's not, he has no malice toward you, but he is kind, tender-hearted, and he forgives you. He loves you so much that he sent his son. That Christ brings you forgiveness. Christ has radically altered God's disposition toward you. To go from being a just judge to a loving father. That's how God treats you. And because you have that relationship with him. I mean, just think about that. Doesn't that make you want to love others? God's actions are contagious. When you get loved by God, it makes you want to love other people. You know, that it, it makes you want, right? It changes what you want. You don't want to be angry, bitter, and wrathful. You want to be kind-hearted. You want to be tender-hearted. You want to forgive others because, man, if you could see the things God has done to forgive me, if you could see the list of ways I've sinned against Him, boy, what you've done to me, you know, doesn't even compare, right? And so we see that it's, it's the relationship with God. It's our relationship with Him that changes what we want. It changes us and makes us want to do what God wants. So what do we do with all this? How do we sum this up? You know, we've got meaning. We've got, um, we've got the possibility and we've got relationship that changes our hearts. When you struggle... Because not if. If you're struggling now, when you struggle, if you feel convicted because you aren't doing these imperatives, right? If you're struggling with this, Christian or not, the answer is the same. The answer is you need to go to God. You need to go to the Lord Jesus. And you need to pray. And I'm going to teach you how to pray just really quick. I'm going to give you an acrostic that I've got from Dick. He's, he's talked about this a lot. Um, it's, it's, it's the acrostic is the word ACTS, A-C-T-S, okay? If you are struggling with what you want because you feel like you don't want, to, you don't want the right things and you want your wants to change, what I want you to do is I want you to pray through A-C-T-S, okay? The A stands for adoration, okay? I want you to adore God that there is meaning behind his commands. Okay? So this looks like, God, you're amazing because you don't just give me rules, but there's reasons behind the rules. And let me think through what those reasons are. 
thank you for being a God who actually answers the why question, for being patient with me because I struggle with needing the why. Um, that's what adoration looks like. God, I, I, so, I am so thankful that you are a God who has reasons for everything that you say. A is adoration. C is confession. Confess to God that you don't want what he wants. Just be clean. Just, just come clean. God, I'm in this moment, and I would much rather eat these three bars of chocolate dipped in this peanut butter than I want to do something healthy tonight. God, I really don't want to be reconciled with this person in the church today before I leave. And I'm sorry. I have a battle of the will, Lord, and I'm losing right now. You see is confess it to God. Confess it to Him. And then T. T is thanksgiving. You thank God for Jesus. Okay? This is how it looks. God, thank you that Jesus also wrestled with His desires, but He never failed. God, Jesus knew what it was like to want to just distance himself from people, to not be reconciled. And yet at every moment, Jesus went the extra mile. Jesus turned the other cheek. Jesus did the hard thing to bring reconciliation in his relationships. And I'm thankful, God, that he did that for me. God, thank you that he lived that perfect life because I haven't lived a perfect life and I need his perfection on me. And then thank you that he died. He died for my sins so that I could be forgiven. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's T. S is supplication. Supplication. That just means asking. (laughs) No, not suffocation, supplication, yeah. Um, supplication, that's where you ask God to put off your old want and then to fill you with the new want that lines up with his desires. God, please put this off. This is part of my old self. This old self died with Jesus. Jesus took it off. I've taken it off like a coat. Fill me with the reality that I'm a new self. God, put your desires, Jesus' desires in me so that I can practice his desires. When you do that, your heart will change. When you pray that way, you will come out. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. The temptation is still going to be there. But your heart will be different. You'll be in a different place if you, if you go through that ACTS process. Because that's how we find our minds renewed. That's how we reshape our heart and our mind. <laughs> and when I think about that, man, if we can get a hold of this as a church, right? what kind of family are we going to be? Like, what are we going to be about? What is possible for us as a church when we are gripped with this reality and we are putting into practice by the power of the gospel because of the sacrifice of Jesus for us? Because he's died for us, right? He has bought us to this purpose that we would live this out. Not perfectly. We're never going to be perfect, which is why we keep going back and confessing and trusting in his shed blood for us, right? It all starts where the passage ends. 
just as God in Christ forgave you. If that moves us, boy, everything is going to be changed. It's not only going to change your life, but it's going to change the life of the people around you. It's going to change your neighbors because you're going to be talking about Christianity in a way they've never heard. I've had neighbors that have just said, wow, I've never ever heard anybody talk about commands like this. I've never heard anybody talk about sin like this. Wow, this actually makes me want to learn more about Christianity. You know, there's a radical transformation in how we think and how we act and how we are as people. Because when we line ourselves up to want what God wants and we have within our grasp a a pattern and a a method for us to change what we want, man, nothing will be impossible in your life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you answer the why and that you want to change our hearts. Thank you that you don't just call out the commands and then say, good luck with that. We are so grateful that your grace cleanses us. And we're grateful that your grace comes into our hearts so that we can experience this transformation. Change what every one of us wants by helping us see the meaning behind our actions, the meaning behind your commands. Change what we want by helping us see and experience what's possible that we might really be able to love and serve others and make a difference in their lives. And let all of this come, Lord Jesus, from our relationship with you. And we will give you the glory. Amen.